0: You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of splatterpictures.net. What's up, everybody, Wes? Dead Air Knife here with always...
1: Typical Lydia.
0: Today's show, we're doing the 19... 79 cult classic tourist trap
1: I wish I could make proper womanly sounds like these mannequins do but I'm just not that I don't have the throat for it Wes
0: me either unfortunately because if I had the throat to make womanly sounds I would rip a lot of people off in a little thing I like to call catfishing
1: before we get into the show, there is a GoFundMe you might have seen on both of our Twitter accounts, uh, Facebook, likely, depending on where you follow the show. Uh, Wes's mother has a GoFundMe account set up right now that I've already donated to.
0: Thank you so much for doing that. Also, just wanted to say that officially. Um, Yeah, my mom uh, needs a little bit of help financially with some dental work, Um. She just kind of found herself in a situation, and as you guys can imagine, dental work is very expensive, uh, particularly for uh, someone who needs the the kind of work that my mom needs. She needs some dental surgery, um, and it's just it's it's uh, pricey. And so, if anything, you guys could donate, and if obviously if you guys can't, if you could just share it, that would be a huge help um, as well. And I really appreciate. Anybody uh, who donates, I noticed that Lydia had donated almost immediately, and I got a little Orwellian up with tears. <laughs> so
1: a little Orwellian, like there's any other way yeah. to get with tears? Yeah, no, I immediately jumped on that because, I mean, we hear a lot about the Canadian health system, and, and unlike the NHS, it we're very well covered here in Canada mm-hmm. and a lot of angles, but we're not covered when it comes to dental or eyesight. That is all out of pocket, like anywhere, like a lot of places in the world. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately it can be very, very costly. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I've always been very uh, lucky with is having really good teeth. And my, my, Mother, not so much. And on my mother's side of the family, they were in this exact same position. Mm -hmm. But the prices have always gone up Mm -hmm. decade by decade. So seeing somebody with an uncomfortable bite in any way, shape or form, just hurts my heart. So definitely, you know, if your mom had a hangnail, I would donate money. Yeah. here we are. I mean, any little bit helps too. like with any GoFundMe account, whether the, the goal is met or surpassed or what have you. It's definitely a help.
0: It's definitely a help. And I, I really appreciate it. So if you like me, uh, if you like the show at all, one half of the origin of that needs a little help right now. And um, so thank you uh, also. But it's uh, we also have more news because Lydia has taken the plunge into the world of Patreon. Gang, let me bring you back. Let me set the time here. The year is 1990, and the coolest chick you know tells you that she's got herself a zine. And you're like, golly gee, what's a zine? And she's like here, man, check out all this stuff. And then because you think she's so fucking radical, you just like get into all the bands that they like and all the books they like because they've shown you this zine that is like a culmination of all these interests and their expertise and shit like that. And they're like, don't sell this in fucking stores, man. And then you become a radical hard case yourself. I forgot what I was saying. Lydia has a Patreon. Yeah, no,
1: that's exactly what it's like. It is the... (laughs) It's an offshoot of the Typical Books YouTube show, which has an offshoot, which is the Typical Books podcast. But I always wanted to create more podcast content. And in the course of creating more podcast content for bonus episodes for the regular listeners of the Typical Books podcast, I ended up somehow accidentally creating a two-hour show (laughs) and deciding to do that on a monthly basis. (laughs) So it has... Yeah, quite literally. And it has essays, interviews with authors, and a rundown of all of the books that I could find that come out in the month. And there's even a, sec- a secret special spot where that calendar is is online for quick and easy reference for listeners. It's subscriber only, although segments of this will appear in the normal feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the subscribers receive an almost two-hour episode every month that is a horror magazine and it's not unlike the fount the mothership if you will of rumorg magazine the old rumorg radio podcast which was like a audio magazine very much this audio magazine actually has page turning sounds which i super dig <laughs> but it is like going through the the table of contents and the cover and then talking about the feature article, which is usually the interview, another secondary feature article, which is the long form essay. And then all of the little bits that make up the front of the book and the back of the book, like some top five things, a little rant this month's the rant about a Jack Ketchum book, and then uh, a long form essay about content warnings, like all sorts of stuff. So the next one's going to have a different interviewee, a different essay, a different rant five different top fives so it's on apple podcasts originally but i wanted to spread that a little and offer this to people who are not apple podcast listeners so it's on patreon and it just happened quite that simply so you can check out patreon.com slash typical books go to typicalbooks.com and uh, find it all over there or check me out wherever you listen to this because it's probably somewhere on the twitter Or the Instagram,
0: yeah. So you guys definitely want to check out that. It's very exciting. I'm very excited for you. This has nothing to do with me, but I'm very excited for you. Um, Your your typical book show is really great, and I'm glad that you're expanding into these different avenues and stuff like that. I'm also glad in one of your latest episodes that you were talking about a bunch of conspiracy theories, and I'm glad that you uh, shot dead. The weirdo conspiracy theories surrounding JFK—it's a case that I'm very familiar with. I've read tons of stuff on it, and and like the idea that that was a conspiracy—that all these people were involved—is uh, ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous.
1: And that's one of the points of the author Lee Miller. Often is like you have to convince me first that all of these people are in on it. Yeah, that's what you first have to convince me. I'm not your crazy theory. First, convince me that all of these people were in on it. Mm-hmm. but yeah yeah i definitely highly recommend checking out that book conspiracies uncovered mm-hmm. uh it's it's fun like I, I do a lot of horror and extreme horror but i also do nonfiction and true crime and stuff like that too mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's a pretty far-reaching horror is a pretty loose term when i use it
0: i i just i it's like i just um spooky chick shit that's that's like you, you, yeah. like that's that's kind of how i envision typical books it's all very macabre
1: that's what we do. And, you know, this all leads to even bigger, better things for Air as well, because like I keep teasing, we're going to do a live show someday and that may become a regular thing. So, you know, we we just like podcasting and making stuff. So it's all going to end up boosting your favorite show. Mm.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. I'm excited today because I'm recording with you. Uh, And I'm also excited because of the film that we have decided to do, which is Tourist Trap, a movie that, when thinking about it, I've actually wanted to do for a very long time.
1: I was surprised that we hadn't. And I've um, confused Tourist Trap with motel hell and mountaintop motel massacre pretty much all my life so i've always thought that i've seen it but i've reminded myself several times that i have not indeed seen tourist trap so when you mentioned it i was like oh didn't we already do that not only have i already watched that it was did we already do this for the show so i was deeply confused for all of four seconds till i remembered that no i had never seen this so was very excited to do this as well, because it's been a movie I've wanted to see for a super long time.
0: That's awesome. Um, yeah. I was thinking about doing this movie on and off all the time because there is this phenomena in horror that you are well aware of, but dear listeners, just in case you're not sometimes when things come out, they don't really do that well. And then they just sit there And then they sit there, and then they sit there. And then all of a sudden, people start talking about it. You know, word of mouth. And then all of a sudden, thanks to the age of the internet, groundswell for these types of movies start to build. And it's because, especially from this era, in 1979, this is at the very early days of slasher fame. How many horror fans do you know that... They've seen, obviously, Halloween. They've seen the Friday the 13th. And they've seen a child's play. And and then all of a sudden you go a little bit deeper. And, of course, they've seen Prom Night and Terror Train and My Bloody Valentine and Prowler. And so you keep digging and digging and digging. But, hey, have you seen Tourist Trap? And this movie, I want to say over the last five years... Really started to grow a cult following that it didn't really have, or at least it didn't have as vocally in the same way that, you know, last year or maybe even in the middle of now, uh, a film like Jennifer's Body had this moment where everyone was just like, hey, this actually isn't that terrible. <laughs> Tourist Trap also had this moment where people were like having Tourist Trap watch parties it became it was becoming the movie to watch to show your horror enthusiast friends to watch with groups of people uh because there's a lot of energy and you know it, it just keeps uh people pretty engaged and also it's something that a lot of people have missed um so And I had no idea that that was true about this movie because I live in my own little world. So I had no – and I remember coming across articles of it, I want to say like three or four years ago, where it's talking about this phenomenon of people getting super into tourist trap. And I was like, what? Really? And yeah, sure enough.
1: That's weird to me because, I mean – Okay, if you're the type of person that likes to watch movies with groups of people and hoot and holler or whatever it is that people do when they're together, eat pizza, I don't know. (laughs) Um, Any movie will do, right? I guess there's a lot of certain fun movies and and movies you've seen over and over like Jaws or something like that is definitely uh, an event film to put on. Even Beetlejuice is a a good one for that sort (laughs) of stuff. But uh, this seems to be one of those movies that even a lot of horror fans haven't either taken the time to watch or they watched it when they were younger like if someone proposed to me let's all have a group watch of poltergeist i'd be like uh (laughs) (laughs) catch you later not interested because i've seen that not fan or gremlins like i've seen it a million times not interested in watching that it's not to me a party movie uh tourist trap for a lot of horror fans. I'm probably like it's probably split down the middle of half of them that have seen it lots of times and the sheen has worn off or those that don't really understand what it is or see that it's PG and decide, oh, that wouldn't be my cup of tea because I want the blood and the guts and stuff yeah. like that. Not realizing that within the first five minutes of the movie you will be captivated. I don't care who you are. There is a mystery to this film from its initial kill. So I really, I can get it. I can get why this has become a cult classic, why it
0: took so long. I don't get, I, I think it's because of the age that we live in. I'm with you about not watching films and groups of people just because I was never really afforded the opportunity. I've talked about this on the show lots of times before, but uh, you know, my siblings, they didn't care for horror movies My mom likes horror, but you know, you get to a certain age where you don't want to just sit there and watch movies with your mom. And my dad didn't really like horror movies at all. He called them jump. Is that a jumpy movie? I don't like those jumpy movies. Uh, And, and, uh, and my friends did not like horror movies. They did not like them at all. And so it was something that I did by myself. And, and so Knowing Tourist Trap, it was just yet another movie that you knew. You're just like, yeah, well, Tourist Trap, you know that one. Like, you know, Tourist Trap, right? Uh, and, and and so actually yeah. now I have a hard time gauging what is a well-known movie and what isn't. Because I feel like my sort of insular upbringing makes it – it's hard to gauge I, I don't know what people would know and what wouldn't. And then so when I was reading an article about people discovering Tourist Trap into becoming this this movie that was getting its little moment in the sun, I was like, really? Like, that's so strange to me. And I don't know why, but.
1: Yeah, I had the same reaction when Pieces became very popular, although like same with Tourist Trap, likely, thinking, well, it's about damn time. It's a great goddamn movie especially with pieces I love every minute of pieces but then I'm also kind of taken aback when people watch it for humor (laughs) and and, in party atmosphere Mm -hmm. it's just it's kind of weird to me because it kind of cheapens what I take quite seriously Mm -hmm. and there is a lot more mirth and whimsy with a movie like this so I can see it lending itself really well to that especially if it's People who fancy themselves some sort of uh, riff tracks or mystery science theater <laughs> types.
0: Uh, doing some monkey shines at a picture show.
1: Exactly. This would lend itself very readily to it. Or fans of things like *Fan of the Opera, where you have like this rich sort of footing of theatricality. That makes itself known in this film, unlike many horror movies that take themselves way too seriously, of course, even with masked characters that have uh, a personality, a real personality, and aren't afraid to voice it. that's uh, It's absent in a lot of horror films. So I can see people being fans of film and drama, having a lot of fun with this.
0: I'm very curious. Did you do any research? Did you read any articles or anything like that before you watched it? Or did you just go in cold?
1: go in cold i dry dog this movie (laughs) even to the point that i didn't even look at who was starring in it i didn't i knew what the box Mm -hmm. looked like i've seen this movie on rack since i was Mm -hmm. a kid it's been a movie that i wanted to watch not just because someone mentioned it and certainly not because of any sort of buzz it gained in the last five years but it was definitely because of seeing the vhs box on the racks in the video rental stores as a kid. I probably turned it over and read the back a million times, but damned if I could have remembered any of it. So I didn't know outside of teenagers find themselves at a tourist trap. The end.
0: (laughs) All I knew. Let me ask you this. What Because when this movie starts off, it hits you with this wackadoodle soundtrack. And then... You get that opening death scene. Like, I'm just very curious what your initial thoughts were about, like, what the fuck is this movie about?
1: Luckily, I've been tempered by two things. One, seeing Pino DiNagio's name in the credits as this, this movie opened with this wackadoodle soundtrack, where I kept wanting to see the beginning of Spider Baby because I'm like, how can you have no visuals and this crazy fucking music? Uh, what I, I need some spider webs or, or creepy crawlies or something, please. Then of course, within a few minutes, like the first five minutes of this movie, if someone thinks they're not interested in watching it, just watch the first five minutes. it'll probably hook you. It hooked me quite deeply because of my fandom of things like the unexplained telekinesis or puppetry trickery saw movies. I mean, not to say this is a precursor to saw necessarily but it has that feeling when you don't know what's going on very Stephen King and it says right in the description on Shutter, this is one of Stephen King's favorite movies makes a lot of sense because the first few minutes where you are in that countryside on a super hot day where everyone's brains are boiling anyway and then you're in this sort of madhouse within a minute and it's creepy it's terrifying it overstays its welcome in a lot of ways too already because these mannequins are kind of relentless but i'm getting ahead of us
0: a little a little ahead of us because if you could if you could sum it up what the fuck is this movie really even about anyways lids
1: this movie like so many horror movies is about you don't just fucking walk in to people's places or businesses that look abandoned. You don't just trespass. Urban exploration is not the thing. I don't care how bad you need water or air in your tire. You don't just walk in places you're uninvited. And you know what? If I was invited to these places, I don't know if I'd want to walk into them anyway.
0: I Yeah, I wouldn't go into this guy's house. I don't care how much fucking Dr. Pepper he has. I am not going.
1: Nope. It's one thing if it is a sideshow attraction that is linked to a legitimate business. But if you've got the Bates Motel problem, oh, the highway got built and not many people come through here no more, then (laughs) that's your first clue.
0: Oh my God. I'm glad that you um, pointed out the Bates Motel problem because it is front and center. And I don't think that they're even trying to hide the fact that they are cribbing from a lot of other well-known horror movies when i think that the the most buck wild thing about this movie is the insertion of certain types of powers but if you were to remove that you have a very basic combination of several different films i mean you have i i would say it it's a little it's a it's a little texas chainsaw but it's really more a little eaten alive and it's got that psycho element too
1: yeah Definitely. Def- those three films stand out and Phantom of the Opera, of the Opera in a way. Yeah. That's why I'm wearing my TCM shirt today. Oh,
0: that's awesome. I thought that you would dig it because of the intrigue with brothers. And I, w- I was not sure how much you would like the uh, powers of this character. Because th- the reason why I think that this is a movie that has a bit of a hat on a hat, which is the fact that it works all by itself as a as a as a hillbilly horror type film the addition of having supernatural powers is very strange to me but knowing now i didn't realize that it was stephen king's favorite movie but that is just stephen king all over it isn't it it's like it doesn't really need superpowers but you know here they are yeah
1: definitely and i sort of struggled with it while watching it because i'm like are they going to explain away all of these supernatural powers as an automaton that these are mechanical tricks that these are parlor tricks with fishing wire and time switches like there's already an element of that in this film are they going to somehow explain away all of these is it magnets (laughs) is that how this is happening that it's not his supernatural powers at all no one has telekinesis um or is it going to be ghosts is it not this person with telekinesis at all but it's a haunted location like are they going to pull the rug out from under us at one point or Mm -hmm. another and thankfully they don't so they keep it this hat on a hat problem the only superfluous storyline in this that I did feel a little ripped off about or that it was a little extra was that this is has been going on for some time and I kept expecting to see the broken car graveyard or the room full of shoes and granted there is a lot of stuff on the mannequins in this house that we end up seeing so that's where a lot of this stuff is it's in use but there's not enough of it. And if he's been doing this for quite some time, I it just felt like this was a first time gig for him. So this didn't sit right that this had been going on for so long. But that was kind of extra. I wish that it would have been like these were the first people that had visited him. So we don't get the idea that this has been going on so long like Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree with you on that point. Actually, I think that when you have a film that is establishing a character that has operated for as long as this, it would do you well to either show more examples about the, the aftermath of some of these incidents, because he says that he's pulling people from a nearby gas station that's just off the highway that people have been using, but then you're saying to yourself, all right, well, every one of them had a vehicle. Where are those? Um, Are you telling me that you're just like leaving abandoned cars at this gas station that's within apparently walking distance, or if not a five minute drive down the road from you, no one thought to check this tourist trap that's still in operation but technically not mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. it kind of comes down a lot to budgetary uh constraints really more than anything it doesn't really allow you to, to have like that richness um but uh, i do agree with you like like everything aesthetically about this movie is a little bit to the left i mean and, and i don't know really what that's in service of because it's like you have the, the the skinny dipping scene, but there's no nudity. You have a lot of kills, but they're yeah. not graphic. You have uh, a lot of things unexplained. Even even like the ending it is straight out of I Spit on Your Grave. It really reminds me of that. Where I'm just like, so is she crazy now? I don't understand it.
1: She looks pretty crazy. I think that if they would have let her leave the screen, you know, instead of making it a still shot. Yeah like the end of quite a lot of movies, Mm -hmm. Uh, if they would have just let her drive on out of frame, we wouldn't have had the idea that she was completely crazy, Mm -hmm. but that they freeze frame on a very crazy look on her face (laughs) doesn't help.
0: Yeah. And that also uh, brings up the question about the parameters of this guy's abilities, right? They don't put a limitation on it but they don't clearly define it other than the fact that it clearly feels good when he uses them,
1: which is definitely one of my favorite lines (laughs) when he's ranting about how good it feels to use his powers. That's a, that's a very unique stance that I don't know. I can't think off the top of a film where it's really explored like that. I think maybe dreamscape is an older film. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but as far as i recall the person who is using his his dream powers to hurt people talks about how how good it feels and how powerful he feels and it's hinted at in a lot of movies but never fully explored especially not with something as uh parapsychological or paranormal as this
0: Mm -hmm. when this film opens up and it's that blistering hot day And you could think that you're getting yourselves into another Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, type scenario. And you have this opening sequence in which uh, a kill happens. And then you have the rest of the gang following up. Immediately, um, the tone of the film flip-flops as to being like, kind of lighthearted and goofy and other times like very serious. And I was curious about the writing of this film versus the final product. Um, apparently everything about the um, telekinesis and, and all that kind of stuff was specifically a Charles band um, request. Um, if anyone's familiar with uh, Charles band and full moon, stuff you would know that the, they sort of love that weird it, they love puppets they love dolls they love weird goofy stuff i mean obviously the puppet master series is hugely famous but they've also done a film called dolls which i find this is very similar to uh at least mm-hmm. w- in overall concept if not Like, I'm not saying that there's a one to one correspondence between those movies, but um, you'll get a pretty good idea of of uh, of this weird balancing act of tone that they're doing. But what do you think of our our cast of characters like Molly and and Becky and all of them?
1: I love them very much. And I liked that there was no nudity in the the skinny dipping scene. Uh, I like that there is a certain chasteness to them all. No one busts away to go and get laid. Mm -hmm. And they are just friends out for whatever picnic day or whatever it was that they had planned. So it's not like they're out being devious or anything. They were just driving to wherever to go and have a picnic day they're just pretty well adjusted people Mm -hmm. and i never had that question of like how do these fucking people even know one another because they don't force these this mix match of people they're all very regular seeming college students Mm -hmm. very basic like bundy victims or future manson family kids (laughs) like just very plain fucking kids and I like that a lot. I specifically like Molly off the hop because she is the prudest of them oh, all. man. And she is the quietest and the most intelligent and the one that doesn't want to trespass. Yeah. So, of course, I like her the yeah, most. I- the guys are fairly regular, too. We only meet Woody for like a moment. He rolls a tire and trespasses into a place where he gets his ass handed to him by seemingly possessed objects it's like he walks into the evil dead for a second Mm -hmm.
0: yeah evil dead or just like the the random shit that was going on like in um funhouse all like the chattering and all the laughing and, and all that kind of stuff just a lot of energy i love they managed to to not get too gory with this movie but at the same time there's some fucking pretty great kills in this in my opinion particularly this first one i love that pipe that the is dr- the draining the blood out of his body it looks really good
1: yeah and i like that we have a lot of anticipation of that there's a pretty masterful filmmaking here i think they he must have used a technique of having this armoire on a ceiling so that they could drop things out of it so it would look like it's flying across the room when you turn the film around because it's just done so well. I don't think it was done on little zip lines of fishing wire because those might've shown up. I really think that that was bottles and and knives and all sorts of shit being thrown at this guy from our perspective that were being dropped downward to get that velocity. And I, I, it was really, really well done. And all while this room is going nuts around him with The door is flapping and windows opening and there's a chair basically dancing in place, very similar to something like poltergeist or or the entity where this room is freaking out and the pipe is rattling on the floor for almost the duration of it. They cut to foreshadow this pipe rattling on the floor over and over and it's getting more violent as the scene progresses. Um, So we we have an idea of what's going to happen. And when it does happen, it kind of happens off off camera but we can hear the blood dripping out of him. So we know what we're about to see. And I love that almost delicious anticipation of the camera slowly panning down his body, down the pipe till we can see the open end of the pipe with the blood draining out. Really done very well without any real gore.
0: Yeah. And that's when, you know, driving down the highway, not even a highway, driving down a dirt road and their Jeep stalls, um, the rest of our gang um, runs into old Slosson. He's uh, he's a he's a good old boy. With, and like it looks like he's wearing a 10 gallon hat when they first meet him.
1: Yeah, he's got quite the jaw. He's all jaw, like ninety percent jaw and just as ruddy, kind of farmer looking guy. like it's ex- exactly the sort of guy that you would expect to own this gas station tourist trap kind of sideshow attraction uh with fascination with like davy crockett and stuff like that so like very very typical and he's not even like very pervy with the girls no so you would think he's some sort of family man yeah
0: yeah, he does sit down there for a long time though where he knows for 100 percent they're all naked and he's just like yep i'm just gonna sit down here um the uh The Farmer is uh, played by old Chuck Connors and uh, who had a storied career uh, before he did this. Um, He seems to be a master of the old turn and spin, which is where you deliver a line of dialogue and go to turn away, but your line of dialogue begs a question. And so he's got to turn back around to answer that question just before he leaves the room. It's great. He does it in almost every scene.
1: Which, you know, almost adds that levity to it and that trustworthiness is being built. Mm-hmm. So I, I really dislike in a movie like this where there is somebody who is absolutely not trustworthy mm-hmm. that people engage in. And the hitchhiker in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is maybe the, a good example of mm-hmm. that. Although the, that relationship immediately turns into something sinister, as, as we know. But initially, he does not look like an inviting trustworthy person at all you don't want to spend time with this person mm. at all and you don't want to follow them or listen to them or ask them if, for any help whatsoever so i can see why they would accept help from or trust or follow along with mr slosson because he's a fairly trustworthy looking dude all the way through the film
0: yeah he has this hidden oasis place which is like a house of wax. It's a lot of historical figures, like you said, Davy Crockett. He's got um, some Native American stuff in there as well. It just seems to be just like a bunch of Americana, brick and brack. It's got a big Dr. Pepper machine uh, in it. And it's it definitely is that, like, a tourist trap type place. And... You just think that he's gonna go ahead and uh, help fix their truck and he they take um the other guy is Doug, right? Is that uh the other guy's name? Jerry. Jerry. Jerry the lost Jerry the lost student. I love I love the line where he's just like like I don't know I don't know what's wrong with him. I'm a lost student. But um he, because uh, he he's like wearing like a a, a denim vest, so he, I thought he was like a a tough of some kind. But no, he's a law student. Law students can be tough, maybe. I don't know. I've never met one, but um, law
1: student with a jalopy.
0: <laughs> when you leave the ladies alone, Molly, Becky, Eileen, they immediately gotta go wandering, or at least Eileen does.
1: Yeah, the sneaky Eileen. <laughs> Come on, Eileen. That's what I said. <laughs> oh, I swear. <laughs> That's very good. I got that Shatner delivery too. <laughs> she sees a house like they are left in this curio cabinet that is the hidden oasis with the mannequins and one of the automatons that Slauson like fires up to show them what it does, and it's like a Davy Crockett and he shoots something or it's buffalo bill one of the two not the fun buffalo bill yeah. but the old, yeah, the, the old one and it's like a rootin', tooting cowboy shooting kind of thing right and uh the girls are intrigued by that but once left alone yeah eileen is snoopy she's looking at the house across the way which is this gorgeous white farmhouse that is like just up the way from this uh gas station back place, and it looks very much like the house from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Big white farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Don't trust it. But she wants to go up there because Sawson had mentioned that the only person up there is Davy. And when pressed further. He doesn't give any answer as to who Davey is.
0: He won't. Um, He does mention that he had a brother, but his brother lives in the city now. His brother was actually the one who made all of these mannequins, but he was so good. He went to like one of those ritzy wax museums, like in a Niagara Falls or something.
1: Yeah, right. Went to Madame Tussauds or something or Nightmare's Fear Factory to help them out. Yeah. We can only imagine. But yeah, probably Madame of Tussauds, which is like the biggest, most well-known wax museum that they would have been alluding to. But Eileen is Snoopy and just curious and probably wants to have some fun. She seems to be the most fun out of the three girls and always like driving toward the trespassing, the fun, the danger and all that stuff. And they all need a phone because the phone mm-hmm. in The Hidden Oasis does not work.
0: Eileen definitely strikes me as that type of person who three drinks in at a party and she's just like everyone should just kiss everyone should kiss this will be great she reminds me of that type of person yep yeah
1: yeah let's all take our tops off that's what she yeah
0: and this is where we get a chance when she goes a (laughs) snooping i love that she puts on a, a little like a Wool, shawl, or whatever it is. And then she goes out, and this is where we get to encounter Davy. What do you think of Davy?
1: Davy is interesting. Davy, at first, I wasn't sure if he was an automaton. And I like that uh, quite a bit. And there's a few things in the house, and even in the beginning scenes when Woody uh, meets his end quite abruptly without any explanation for us or no other people in the house either. So because we've seen somebody die at what seems to be the hands of an abandoned house or room, we're at first not even sure if Davy is a human under all of that. I like the mask quite a lot. I like the masks that, and I like the faces of the um, mannequins that do move and, and the jaws and that's sort of mirrored within this mask that he's wearing too, where you would think that it's like a half mask, but there is a jaw portion that moves separately. So the lips and everything move, but they're rigid. And I, I really like this look of this mannequin, almost a ventriloquist dummy sort of
0: look mm-hmm. Today, Yeah, and he's fucking huge.
1: Yep, very lumbering. Remind me a little of James Gum from Sounds of the Lambs. Just this big gorgeous
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh absolutely and this is where she didn't uh eileen by the way lids she wasn't just wearing an old wool shawl uh she also had a neckerchief and that's gonna be her downfall
1: yeah she stole it off one of the mannequins
0: (laughs) that's gonna be her downfall
1: I can't believe she'd stole it off one of the mannequins. So it's one thing to go traipsing about in someone's abandoned farmhouse, let alone to be going into other people's properties to begin with. But she just walks on in. Not only does she walk on in, she walks through the place and starts like toying with stuff and then takes a kerchief off of one of the mannequins and decides to wear it. Like, who does that?
0: It, it, it's, again, it kind of goes back to what we talk, and I noticed this, you've noticed this in lots of horror from the 70s in particular, where people just don't give a fuck. It was like, uh, I was actually watching earlier today uh, Bay of Blood, and fuck, like, there's that scene in Bay of Blood where, where, like, these people are just like, oh, let's just go to this house and go swimming. I was like, they're not from there. They were just driving past it. And again, you're just thinking yeah. to yourself, yeah. who does this? And so to have the audacity of being explicitly told, don't go over to that house, please. Like there's just Davies over there and just stay here and please stay here. I'm going to fix your truck. I'll be right back. And then for her to just be like, oh, uh, no, I'm going to gonna go do the exact opposite of what you asked me to do. And not only that, I'm just going to start stealing
1: vile really vile and i mean she sets herself up in our minds when she sticks her bubble gum underneath the arm of her own lawn chair like a fucking pig at the beginning so i mean i don't expect much more from this person and on the other hand i expect much more from the apple of the eye of american youth at this height of reaganism and fucking just coming out of the vietnam war and people are just having so much hope placed in the future of this particular generation Mm -hmm. and they're sticking gum under the arms of lawn chairs and traipsing around in other people's property (laughs) and stealing fucking shit and just getting into all sorts of trouble and encouraging people to trespass to skinny dip and all sorts of horrible crap so i mean yeah i i you you want to kind of hate her on the other hand she doesn't deserve what she gets no. for this action
0: either i like that you could get the idea that davy could probably throttle the life out of this small woman but he he decides to use telekinesis to do it
1: exactly and it's quite picturesque as well and that's one thing there's a few scenes in this film that are just shot really well and that one is is one of the first ones that i think is just quite picturesque as far as one of the death scenes And yeah, he uses his like Sith powers or whatever (laughs) to tighten this neckerchief that she's stolen. So it is a very fitting death, Mm -hmm. not deserved for this petty thievery. But we are dealing with this obvious psychopath.
0: I um, love this next sequence because you get a little bit of backstory about this very eerie doll that has been set up or mannequin rather that is set up in the the best location within this whole tourist trap it's this beautiful angelic looking mannequin that has pretty music that plays and it lights up and it feels almost like flesh and we learn that this is the exact likeness of slosson's late wife
1: and they never come straight out and say it that is her preserved body but they say how she does feel like flesh and in the audience. We're sitting there going, look at her hands. They're fucking skeleton hands. Look at her goddamn hands. They're definitely skeleton hands. She is definitely a skeleton. No one mentions that right next to her, there is a skeleton in a coffin Mm -hmm. right next to that display. But it's like not mentioned or not noticed. It's not focused on. It's just kind of there. Mm -hmm. So there's obviously other uh, memento mori Mm
0: -hmm. in
1: that area. So she very well could be a preserved corpse she looks like a fucking preserved corpse it is super creepy and i like the girls are compelled to look at it not once twice but thrice <laughs> and it becomes like this thing that they keep coming back to and can't not look at and i would be about the same way with that morbid fascination with something like that whether it really was a dead girl or not mm-hmm.
0: slasen tells this uh story about how his wife had succumbed to cancer that the idea of this hidden oasis tourist location was to be their dream and they were going to make it really really cool and awesome and she ended up dying in his arms it's a uh, it's the type of story that you really need a, a seasoned actor to tell i think uh, slosson does a great job delivering this this dialogue it's very cool very compelling it also does start to make you wonder. Like you already wonder because you know people are dying, but Slosson doesn't really seem to have time to be doing this. So, like, so you start to wonder, like, who is Davy? He said his brother had left. It doesn't make a lot of sense at this juncture in the story. Like, what exactly is going on? But Slauson himself seems like a pretty nice person, but sad. Uh, Molly even says he's just lonely and a little preoccupied with the past. And I'm like, oh, man, I feel you, Slauson. I feel you.
1: No, I can agree with that. He doesn't seem to have the time either because he's gone off with Jerry to fix his truck. And we and the girls seem to have this innate trust in Slauson that we you know, because we're watching a horror movie, we're pretty sure something bad has happened to Jerry. But we we can't convince ourselves of that one hundred percent. Jerry could come back in the door any minute, mm-hmm. up until a certain point in the movie when he's proven that he's not going to. But we're we're pretty sure for the first half of the film that he could just walk back into the hidden oasis. Right now we're down a girl, so we've got just Molly and Becky that are popping around inside there and Schlosson keeps coming in and out sort of uh with tidbits of information or to grab the gun to go and go find eileen where they comment you're gonna go find her with a gun and he's like fine i'll find her without a gun and he puts (laughs) the gun away immediately which is counterintuitive to our beliefs that he is probably up to no good He must be up to good if he is willing to abide by the girl's better interests and not scare everybody with a gun to go and find Eileen up at the house because there might be coyotes. He's already warned them of all sorts of dangers otherwise, like water moccasins, Mm -hmm. the snakes that could be in that swimming hole, the coyotes that are out there, Mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff. And then on top of that, we have that sort of level of Molly, our voice of reason, passing it off as he's a sweet old guy and she's kind of palsy-wowsy with him because he thinks she has a pretty name
0: yeah and listen you can trust a woman with a long white dress and a sun hat that big and floppy i mean she's just the 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 she is who reagan was dreaming of in uh, the new morning in america
1: (laughs) definitely definitely and she has that tragedy. You don't want anything to happen to her. Sort of like Abigail Folger. I'm sorry. I keep bringing this down to Manson murders for some reason. I have no idea why, <laughs> but she reminded me very much of the, the look. I imagined Abigail Folger to have. Had That's, that day.
0: Listen, I'm always here for a, a good Manson reference. So you're not going to get any complaints out of me. Um, This next sequence is some of my favorite stuff in the film. And at this point, we have to remember a couple of things about the history of, of horror and how these types of movies typically uh, were written and how they were presented. Right now, we are gearing our brains up to be, who's the final girl? Who, who is going to be the one that's going to unravel this mystery? What is going to happen? Uh, but you got to remember back in those days... That wasn't necessarily how filmmakers were considering things. It was all still very new. Obviously, there was going to be survivors of this story. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I think this movie really does a great job of balancing time between characters. Obviously, there's characters like Woody and Eileen that are meant to be fodder. But there are now several other characters that are still alive. And this film is going to start doing this balancing act amongst all of these characters that you genuinely could go either way with who is going to live to the end of this story, at least for a while. Mm -hmm. So this is where you have Becky's sequence going to go find Eileen and going to go to the house by herself and you start to get the, the the picture. Oh, okay. Well, now here's the next character. Lambs to the slaughter. It's, it's just like in Texas Chainsaw. Whoever goes into that house gets killed. That's just the way it goes. Um, but that's not the case. And you get this really long drawn out sequence with the late great uh, Tanya Roberts, who um, died only a few months ago. And I found myself like while I was watching the movie, uh a few hours ago, I found myself like weirdly getting like, like really focusing in on the fact that I'm like, Oh man, like here's this person who was like young and beautiful and vibrant and, and like talking and walking. And here's this like movie that she's in and she's gone now. Like, I don't know if I shouldn't watch movies like super late at night or in the very early, (laughs) but I, I just started to, to really focus in on that. Um, but regardless of all that, i um, thinking about her and the fact that she had recently passed. I fucking love this performance. I love this whole fucking sequence of her going through the houses. And when you see those mannequins eyes move, it's all so fucking good.
1: The mannequins eyes moving is is really wonderful. And even for its time and the fact that these are literally just mannequins eyes moving it's very creepy. The mannequins falling on top of her. There's a few things in this where I'm I'm wondering like in reality would you not be able to struggle your way out of all of mm-hmm. this? But okay, for the, the the setting that it is in. And maybe mannequins are, are heavier than I imagine they are if they're all hardwood or something. Or or whatever these mannequins are they they must be plastic, but that's what I kept thinking, but maybe they're made of wood. I have no idea, but they're they're heavy and they have a lot of presence in this. And with their motions and their oh the weird sounds that begin to emanate, this is sort of the beginning of the the sounds of the mannequins that you alluded to in our intro, so perfectly. <laughs> um, this is where that begins to happen. It doesn't quite reach its fever pitch, but they, there are some, like, whispers of names, mm. which could be the psychic powers of Davy. Or is it the mannequins making these whispers? And then the mannequins start to make some vocalizations here and there, which are, are very creepy. The fact that they don't really move, it's not like they're going to come walking at you, but they're watching you, and they're all expecting something to happen. That's definitely what the eye motions lead up to so we're in turn expecting something to happen
0: yeah and when she finally encounters davy it leads into this sequence that is so fucking good because it allows us two things it gives us this really creepy basement workshop sequence that i love and it gives our our villain, Davey, a chance to uh, uh, pontificate. A chance to like talk. He's a chatty fucking guy.
1: He's far more chatty than I expected. And he's not just chatty about... I'm not sure he talks about how pretty the girls are. He says pretty girl probably 85 times in this film. <laughs> I didn't count. So it's okay. Conservatively, probably at least 25 times he says you're a pretty girl over and over. And it starts here really... Um, but to talk about his relationship with his brother, Mm -hmm. how his brother doesn't like him. His brother is jealous of his face. His brother makes him wear masks all the time and how he is proud of his handiwork and things like that. So he does have a lot to say.
0: And this, we find that, um, Jerry and who has probably been here the whole time, Is tied up.
1: Yeah, he's tied up in the basement to the stairs in a standing position, which has got to be tiring. But yeah, he's probably been here from five minutes after we saw him last.
0: Yep. And also it introduces us to a new character. People would be like, wait, who's this? It's Tina. Who's Tina? Tina. Just
1: random Tina. (laughs) Who doesn't like a random Tina? It kind
0: of reminded me of the sequel to Silent Hill fucking revelation it was probably something like that revelation or whatever where this chick enters this warehouse with like this big mannequin demon that's like grabbing girls and turning them into mannequins and she encounters like two other random girls who like briefly give her oh we were driving through and we got stranded and anyway and then they're just dead which is literally what tina is here for however this scene is fucking masterful it is a perfect way to to have a death scene that's disturbing but not graphic and it's having the villain tell cuz i don't know what's happening and i don't know a, i don't know about dying of fright i don't know if this is true but this is the villain saying oh it's this is how plaster hardens it gets hot like it's going to burn your skin which i did know But um, this whole...
1: Yes, same here.
0: But this whole, you're suffocating, you'll never see again. It reminded me a lot of the, the toy box killer who apparently used to get off on describing very vividly how someone was going to die in all the ways that he was going to 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 kill people it was that he was like now you're not gonna see and you're never gonna see anything again and now i'm covering your mouth and you're starting to panic and your heart's gonna explode with terror and i love this fucking sequence so much
1: yep and he he delivers it very theatrically so it's it's wonderful to watch and it it verges on comical at times but at that time drives home its maniacal intention. Like it is a very maniacal scene. And the only thing that takes me out of this scene is that it appears he's not using plaster at all. But marshmallow fluff. I swear to God it's marshmallow <laughs> fluff.
0: It's the stuff.
1: It is that wonderful stuff. She can't get enough. But it's it makes sense for the scene as an actress. I wouldn't want plaster actually smeared on yeah. me. And it does get hot. It, does, it takes a bit. But it does. And the marshmallow fluff, once it is like smeared and he's like pushing it into her eye sockets and her mouth, it would be pretty inner and tasty. So it makes some sense. Or wallpaper paste was the other thing I thought it might have been, which isn't as edible, depending on who you yeah. ask. And like that the the pushing of it onto her face is, is, is quite grotesque. But she does some pretty good body acting right here with her uh, her throws and her rigor at the end of it all so it is quite believable although i don't know if someone's heart would explode that quickly but if you're prone to panic and claustrophobic those two things together with this hypnotic voice telling you your heart is going to explode maybe it very well could
0: it's the power of suggestion jerry does get free but man is he no match for davy like davy is so much stronger than him
1: He is and mentally even while Jerry's trying to get free there's a few like stops and starts to that because they see a key on the floor and he's like trying to get this key across and he just gets it within his reach and the key starts telekinetically jumping away from Mm -hmm. him and Davey's like working away on this mannequin face that he's making and he's just like ah you thought i didn't see that did you ha 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 so he's been toying with them so later on when there's a blade or something like a hacksaw blade on the floor that becky kicks toward jerry to saw he's now chained because he'd already gotten out of his ropes at one point by gnawing on them like a dog (laughs) but he's sawed himself free so it it takes quite a bit for jerry to finally get free but then yeah he's thrown across the room like he's a toy
0: yeah, and that is where we're going to leave them. This is obviously when he uses his power for the first time. This is where he talks about how it feels good. He talks about um, how his brother wants him to hide his face because he's too handsome. It's a little bit of uh, Oni Baba if you've ever seen that old Japanese horror film. It's like, you know, you can't look at my face. I'm too good looking, which of course immediately makes you think they're probably hideous. After this sequence we do learn a lot of information about Davy and you think to yourself, all right, well, okay, so Davy's here and Slossen doesn't know about some things that Davy is doing. Like he didn't know that he had Tina. He didn't know mm-hmm. um and he probably doesn't really understand what he's doing right now. You get the sense that you're like, what does Slossen know? Slossen knows that he has a power but he doesn't know that his brother kills people. And he said that his brother is in the city working in a wax museum, but he has to know that's not true. So you, you're starting to wonder, like, what the fuck is actually going on in this tourist trap?
1: Especially when Davy says straight up, "My, I could make so much more money and be famous and do well for myself if my brother would let me go to the city. Mm-hmm. So there's like a really direct... Uh, conflict between what we're being told and what we know, mm-hmm. and two unreliable narrators now in our point of view because we can't. Now the the beginning of their the cracks in our trust of Slauson are beginning to show and widen. And Davies said, like he alludes to having done this for quite some time by saying, "Ever since they built that highway, I have to now go all the way up to the road to get people." Mm-hmm. So yeah. we know he's been doing this for some time, too.
0: Yeah, it's this notion that perhaps while the Hidden Oasis was actually a a, a viable business, he would just take patrons that he were wandering away, like a H.H. Holmes or something like that, just like, oh, why don't you come over here and then kill them? But it, it is really unclear. But what is clear is good old Molly. She is right where she's supposed to be. And do you know why? Because told her to. She has not moved.
1: Yep. She is a girl guide to end all girl guide. She has looked around in the area and gone back to what we think is Slauson's wife. That one mannequin that is her replica a couple times to study it a little further. She has flipped a few of the switches and but generally has relaxed and waited like she ought to.
0: There's a a very bizarre sequence in which the phone rings and she goes to pick it up and there's no one there. And then the phone is disconnected again, perhaps some of Davy's powers, hard to say, but it does open her up to encountering Davy herself. Davey also has been changing masks periodically
1: and wigs and wigs.
0: Yeah. Um, He's, uh, he's gone from now he's wearing like a little Lord Fauntleroy type thing. It's weird. It's like a weird blonde bowl cut or whatever.
1: I kind of like it. It's kind of feminine and uh, it, it, it enhances his, his size as well because it is quite the mop of hair, but looks shorter on such a gigantic man. And after this chase sequence, she says that he was a big hideous man. And I'm like, no, he was gorgeous. I mean, what are you talking about? Get a load of that hair. Oh, my God. But this also feeds into uh, the first real chase scene. There's another chase scene later, which is hilarious to me. But this one is a uh, running through the forest in a white dress and moonlight.
0: It really is. And the when she eventually gets away from him, she'll encounter who picks her up and tells her that his brother is there and he's out of control, but don't worry, he's going to get the police and everything's going to be fine. But he gets this notion that he wants to go turn on the radio because turning on the radio draws his brother out like a moth to flame
1: which is ridiculous you know what up until like i don't know just cut that moment out maybe if that's in the in the cut version where they cut out the part about the fucking radio because who cares about the radio because i almost buy it with his switch of his face where he's like oh it's okay i'm gonna help you out and i'll figure out what's got you all rattled as soon as she's like davy mentions his brother quite definitely has been chasing her and he's out and on the loose the the look on his face, his face just sinks. He goes a paler shade, and he's like, oh, "Okay, this is really serious now. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to get him under control. I don't want the police to shoot him down like a dog. I'm just gonna get him contained, and then I'll call the police. And then, I'll, but I I gotta turn on the radio. It takes me right out of that whole scene where I'm actually buying it. You know, my horror movie senses tell me that. That's not the case. Like, he's not going to be of any help. This is all a ruse. But my suspension of disbelief has kicked in, and I do buy it up until the the, the turning on the radio is just a flippant thing. And I don't know why they left it in the movie. Mm -hmm. But it does help with that one scene where she's standing outside being handed a gun and being told, You just point it at the thing and pull the trigger, it's going to do the rest. If anything comes at you, shoot it Mm -hmm. we've already seen that there's blanks and a gun employed within the mannequins in the building so we're pretty sure when she starts shooting that gun it's probably not going to do as much damage as she hopes
0: and boy it doesn't because when davy shows up in his mask she shoots him twice and then he mocks her cruelly about the blanks in her gun and she realizes that she does have a big heavy piece of metal and wood. And so she <laughs> bashes Davy in the head with it, revealing, of course, that Davy and Slosson are one and the same. It's a classic pokeroo.
1: It is a classic pokeroo. And we saw it coming a mile away on one hand. But on the other hand, there are some scenes where there are mannequins, automatons, if you will, that are assisting in the death of somebody or the capture of somebody mm-hmm. so we're convinced there may be two people if the telekinesis isn't 100 percent useful here mm-hmm. or if it is things on strings then there must be two people how can he be so many places at once how can the phone have been ringing while he's in his truck Even if the phone, like, I don't know, maybe there's a hidden cord that allows it to ring on the party line. And the cord that is frayed and making it look obviously disconnected is a ruse. Like, we we do have many well-placed, well-written, and well-done scenes that lend themselves to there being two people, definitely. And even with the reveal, there's part of our brains that are like, nah, 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 nah. There's got to be, there's got to be someone else. But no, it's just a psychic Lonely old man.
0: A lonely old psychic man. Did you know that they actually have credits for a, a Davy, but that's a fake credit. It was just to like let audiences think that there were there was a different actor to play Davy. It wasn't just was it Chuck Connors?
1: Yeah, that's crazy, and that makes a lot of sense. I don't blame them for doing that because they are both big, sure, and they are the same actor, yeah. But like even little stuff, you're like, Well, Dawson has a limp. <laughs> trying to reason it out of yourself right yeah
0: yeah no one could fake a limp I love the moment in which Molly is hiding in the oasis and Slauson just fucking comes up out of the water like fucking Jason Voorhees (laughs) with that huge grin exactly
1: huge grin and he does like that is the creepiest sort of gotcha moment he does another one where he just walks up behind her when he's still dresses Davey and he's like four inches away before she notices him it's it's pretty creepy but this second chase is not as fun as the first because i had expected more chase sequences um and then they end up going back up to the house so we get the chase through the house this is where we meet up with our otherwise abandoned up until this point jerry and becky
0: yeah um Becky manages to kick over uh, a discarded piece of metal. She describes it as a blade or something like that. And Jerry is able to cut himself free. This is the buck wild shit that I'm talking about with it. You still start to think to yourself, okay, they've revealed Slauson is Davy, but now there here's Becky and Jerry in the house. Okay. And we know that, is with molly even though molly's been captured um and now they're walking past this demented playroom and there is davy in his little lord fauntleroy wig playing with dollies and shit while his mom and dad mannequins are watching over him i'm like uh what
1: yeah very confusing i like this whole of mannequins scene too Mm -hmm. very uh very dipped in the vat of horror films entirely where we forget a lot of the uh the setup to this film it doesn't even matter how these two people got in this hallway it's fucking creepy uh, those mannequins could move at any minute even if it's moving more than their eyes and you're genuinely scared for them because one of them has passed the room and the eyesight of davy and the other still has yet to go so there's that instant tension and you're in a hallway of mannequins so people who are afraid of mannequins are absolutely not going to like this movie especially this particular scene where it is quite tense because we already know how powerful Davey is too and his two captors are now in the loose which is always my favorite part of like a kidnap kind of serial killer movie where you've got the person loose in the house and the killer doesn't quite know yet i like that tension quite a lot but we've also got a chance for one to war- run one way and one to run the other, right? And what's he going to do? One of them is going to make it, right?
0: That is the best. I love so much that Jerry and Becky don't run in the same fucking direction. They split up. He's only one man. But he does decide to go after Becky. And she ends up back in the Hidden Oasis proper. This is where... It's a pretty great sequence. and even though it's not a graphic death, it's still pretty brutal. They just don't show blood, but it's still very much an axe getting put in the back of somebody's neck. The
1: chase scene here that I just I don't know, I found it comical. there' it's the slowest chase scene I've ever mm-hmm. seen. They're sort of running through the bushes, but then they encounter this fence. So she's going along the fence and she's crawling along the fence and he's crawling along the fence after her. And it reminds me of some scenes in like Mario or something where you're crawling along a fence.
0: Yeah, Mario. Super Mario World. Yeah. yeah. Where
1: <laughs> and it just like is very slow, very slow. But yeah, her death. Yeah, you're right. It's not very graphic, but we can imagine it. We've seen enough axes in the back to know that that's not comfortable and it was pretty instantaneous too much like the pipe through the back Mm -hmm. he knows how to kill people he toys with them though yeah and that's the the fun part of his psyche is that we get to see that he knows exactly how to dispatch a person quite cleanly efficiently and quickly um whether he touches them or not because this is yet another death where he does not lay a finger on the victim
0: yeah it's fascinating because he likes to just sit and watch and toy. It's tormenting people, making them afraid. That's definitely the thing that he needs to happen because he doesn't just want you dead. He wants you to suffer uh, mentally. And so this sequence before she's finally killed with an ax, I mean, she has mannequins shooting at uh, her relentlessly. And the funny thing is, is like, They're just shooting glass bottles and think pictures off the walls and just all this kind of shit. And you're asking, is he even really trying to hit her or is he just trying to freak her the fuck out? Yeah,
1: when he says that using his power feels so good, is it that using his power feels good, like scratching a mosquito bite can feel good? Or is that it feels good to watch a, a human animal struggle? and And dance like a monkey while you shoot the ground around it. Yeah. Is that what feels good? You sick?
0: Buck? yeah, I think they do a really good job of really showing davy slash Slosson's sadistic side. This kindly old man is really hiding a really dark other side, uh, which is really great. and it and it takes a super creepy turn. When you include the fact that the reason why Molly has so far been spared is because of the fact that she looks so much like his dead wife, who we know now did not die from cancer.
1: No, she was whoring. Whoring (laughs) in his own house.
0: (laughs) They were whoring. I knew you would love the way he said it, whoring. Can you believe it? Yeah.
1: Her and his brother, they were whoring. (laughs) I love the way he said that. Yes, you're definitely right. You saw right through me there.
0: (laughs) Do you think that the skeleton next to his wife's body is his brother? Ooh, ooh.
1: Ooh, delicious yes I'm, I'm now that you say it oh yeah because i just thought it was like a prop or something or just a rando or someone that wandered in to check out the wares of this sideshow attraction one day and ended up getting killed but yeah it very well could be that makes a lot of sense mm,
0: that's what i thought when we learned this about him we learned that even his sad cancer story is a lie everything about this guy's a lie what a pig
1: We don't really get, like, why he ended up there. Like, has he had these powers all his life? Did his wife know about them at first? Like, what was his high school years like? You know, I want to know so much more about him and how he got to this point. And, like, why mannequins, right? Like, why such a fascination with that? Why automatons and stuff? Is it just that he's good with his hands or... Is, has he been so neglected and alone all of his life that he's honed the skill of creating friends for himself? Like, I just want to dive into his psyche yeah. quite deeply. We don't really get that.
0: You want, a, you want a tourist trap beginnings or tourist trap origins or like Slauson. They would just call the movie Sloson.
1: Yeah, that would be cool. I, w- I, I would watch tourist trap origins or bloodlines or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. It has to be part five to be a bloodline, so... <laughs> The one thing that we do get quite clearly is that he was heartbroken. He was absolutely heartbroken by both the betrayal of his wife and his brother, who this had been going on for how long? We don't, we don't know. But it was news to him when he found out and he killed them. And he says, in no uncertain terms, that it's the law. He has the legal right to kill them. Mm-hmm. When a woman steps out, which I didn't know that that was a true law. I wonder. I have to research 1979. Where are they supposed to be? Is this Texas or California, Florida?
0: It seems like California to me. I know it was filmed in California, but.
1: It doesn't say in the synopsis. And I don't recall it saying in the film. I
0: think being able. Where
1: they are supposed to be. I think
0: being able to murder someone for whoring sounds like a Texas thing. No offense to our Texas listeners. (laughs)
1: Yeah, no offense whatsoever, but it's like, especially in 1979, Texas, things were very, very different. So, I mean, is that, was that a real law somewhere that you could do that? That's crazy. A very true law in some countries, mm-hmm. but as far as the United States goes, I, I didn't think that was a law.
0: Um, Really hard to say. Um, I want to talk about something that this movie does incredibly well and it really kicks in if you hadn't noticed it already you certainly would notice it by now when old uh molly is tied to a bed sometimes when you look at the mannequins they look almost real they look almost like people like real people and then you look at them again and you say to yourself oh no that's that's a, that's a mannequin. It's just I'm, my eyes are playing tricks on me. This movie very deliberately uses sequences in which real actors are playing the mannequins. And even if you look into the background, some of the mannequins are just real people and some of them are mannequins. And we are encountering this person at Molly's bedside. It looks like a mannequin in one scene. And then she looks at her again, and it's a fucking person, and it's really creepy.
1: It is really creepy. And they've done this, like you said, in the background, where you're pretty sure you saw a person standing there. Uh, And then they pan back to that exact same mannequin that is definitely a mannequin. I really like that. This mannequin doesn't just look like a person. It feeds her a drink of water. Yeah. (laughs) So it goes that extra step of interacting with Mm -hmm. her.
0: And that's where it starts to dawn on you is she really seeing this or has she just been infected by the madness as they say is she just imagining that these mannequins are looking more human and is this well this clearly is how Slosson slash Davy sees them but is this really happening is my question. And how could you attribute that to simple telekinesis?
1: Yeah, it's it's taking telekinesis into a whole other realm, which I really enjoy because it's almost creating another layer to it that, you know, all of this, this talk we've had as humans of telekinesis is just the first level of this particular power that has the, the power to reshape our own synapse within our brains so that we see whatever the hell they want us to see and not even hallucination but attributing uh, human qualities to inanimate objects maybe none of these things have really happened and he has been stabbing axing to death or strangling these people but what we are seeing is what they're being told is that it's the environment doing this thing to them perhaps it really opens up his power and the delusion and maybe a certain power imbued within these objects and the house itself to perpetuate this hallucination
0: it's really um disorienting in some sequences when Molly is finally brought up to what I guess is an attic of some kind where even more dummies I mean like this house is just lousy with mannequins right but we have Slosson bringing her up to this bed and putting his dead wife's death mask pretty much on her and then trying to kiss it and you're like ew this is like motel hell but reversed we're like it's like the old man wanting to hook up with the young girl whereas in motel hell it's like the young girl's just like man i want to fuck this grandpa
1: and it is quite grotesque because i mean he's you know i'm not sure where his hands are roaming but the look on her face is quite terrified and that is the 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 scariest thing is you know how terrified her face looks under that mask Mm. and then he lifts the mask off and we get to see it and she's an excellent actress so not only is her first freak out when she's holding the gun and is attacked by davy just fantastic and intention making and uncomfortable because seeing a person in such strife when it's acted so well especially on screen is so heartbreaking this scene is equally heartbreaking and i I really like the way that it's done here too and the camera angles are a little obtuse there's a bit of a french tilt the camera seems to be on the floor with them so it's a very intimate scene and just also very wrong and i like it a lot
0: it's very cool and this is where we don't have to worry too long because jerry to the rescue and here's where i wanted to ask you a question where when jerry shows up starts swinging his axe and starts fighting everything like that how long do you think jerry has been a fucking mannequin
1: it is so hard to tell and it's done so extremely well i love this so much actually um yeah because he's a mannequin that has the power to chop through a door with an axe but he has he been a mannequin since he was trying to gnaw the ropes off his wrist yeah it's like was he made a mannequin after he ran away from the house Mm -hmm.
0: and is
1: when he's standing in among the mannequins is that why he's mostly invisible because when they're in the hallway and he's on one side of the door, Becky's on the other and they're trying to get away from the house he stands in among the mannequins as the only male mannequin as far as I can tell and blends in even though he's of ready complexion is definitely smells, acts breathes, talks, walks (laughs) like a human but yet Davy doesn't see him is it because he is a mannequin and Davy figures he's no threat? do you think that maybe he's not a law student at all
0: i wonder is molly imagining this is jerry even fucking there
1: is jerry running down the road right now toward the nearest source of light
0: yeah it's really hard to say. This this sequence is what the one of the most buckwild things and when you don't see it coming, when you don't know the scene is happening, you're just like what the fuck is this? And I think that now looking back on it sorry, cuz it also begs the question. Does that mean that the mannequins are self so self-aware that they don't understand do you still have like your consciousness? Are you like, what is this mannequin to human or human to mannequin process? What is fucking Slosson doing to these people?
1: Is it imbued in the death mask? Like, does he make a death mask of them, then create a mannequin and that has their essence? Or are they house of wax style? plastic covered human corpses i
0: like your theory that you just postulated now that it's a death mask i like that that makes a lot of sense to me because i was just like is it magical plaster like what is it
1: it would make some sense that his mom and dad so to speak in the in the living room, which we didn't spend enough time talking about how cool that is because they do look really remarkably lifelike. And it reminds me a little bit of the Hills have eyes Mm -hmm. Uh, Two Is it where they go into some of those replica houses for the
0: test? That is no, that's one. That's one. The remake.
1: It is. It isn't one. Oh, it is. Yes, yes, yes. True, true. Uh, Which we're going to sort that out soon enough, but the, the setup for that is super creepy, very leave it to beaver kind of household going on in there. Um, but it would make sense as to why those are sort of like so pristine and look so unique because I know if you've walked through enough stores with mannequins in your time, but to me, they all kind of look samey. Yeah. They're all very samey. Yeah. Even the ones with different looking features, they're all from the same mold. Not these ones, however. They all do look very different. If we want to compare movie mannequins to, you know, some giallos where all the mannequins look very samey and a lot of them aren't wearing clothes. Or you go into some cloth mannequins like in Maniac. Mm-hmm. They're still all very samey looking mannequins. These ones are all very unique. No children, though.
0: You're right. There are no fucking children. I never fucking thought about that. I wonder if he has a no Kill kid policy.
1: Yeah, it seems to because they're all like teens, middle aged. You know, they're all like business women and you know motherly types, mm-hmm. and it's in teenagers. Lots of teen looking girls, a lot of like go go dancer looking yeah. girls, or just like wholesome normal teen looking girls. So like, it they're all. They're all of the same sort of demographic, yet all very different. So it's very representative of that demographic. Mm. So very, very strange. There's only very few men as well. But there is one mannequin that sort of stands out here at the mm-hmm. end. Aside from Jerry, the half-human mannequin. I'm a real boy kind of mannequin that gets headless real quick. Yeah. is the witch.
0: Yeah. There's a witch man. There's a witch mannequin who's fucking creepy. And this is... If you are in uh, paying attention to the mannequins, this is where they're really mixing it up. You had told me an interesting fact about an actor that we all know in the horror community who actually is an uncredited mannequin. I did not know that. Who is it?
1: Linnea Quigley. Oh, In a movie with no toplessness, we have one of the most iconic scream queens ever, ever in a PG film. Mm-hmm. Although I am convinced, and it says uncredited, I am convinced she is this witch.
0: It's possible she's definitely got to be something. I was like, "Was uh, when you're just like linnea Quickly?" Isn't it? In I instantly thought of the one mannequin who's topless in the attic. I was like, "Is it that one? Is yeah. is that the linnea Quickly one?"
1: But like that wouldn't be her then, right? Because it's a mannequin. Mm-hmm. Like, is there a split scene that we see, like a split second scene? where it is really a real person, but I couldn't th- I couldn't see any that remotely resembled her mm-hmm. and she is an outstanding person and sort of imprinted on our on our minds the way that she looks. Mm-hmm. So that witch mask thing that it's kinda littler and it's very fun and creepy the way that it's coming at Molly is like a creepy fun thing that I think someone like Linnea Quigley would have a lot of fun and get a real kick out of being able to do. <laughs>
0: Uh, I think you're absolutely right. This sequence um, of mannequins, some of which look exactly like actors because they are played by actors, this creepy witch with like this really exaggerated carved face kind of reminds me of those old wall busts that used to be on your grandparents' walls, right? And um, we had a lot that were based off of Dickens characters. So, you know, lots of Scrooges and shit and old sea captains. And then, meanwhile, Slauson is just in the peak of cackling madness, swinging around this uh, mannequin of his wife who, when he spins one time, it's a mannequin. And when he spins again, it's it's a woman that looks alive and well, laughing and pointing at her. And Molly is just sitting there waiting to... Axe Lawson, which she does.
1: She does. This whole scene is so very tense, and there's almost this like eroticism, not only with the barefoot, flimsily dressed wife that is a mannequin in one scene and a, a woman in another. Uh, she does look very carefree and nubile when she is a real person, and we're also being assaulted by the kind of breathless moans that the mannequins make and i think that if there's anything in this that would have elicited an erotic tone especially to like younger people who might have seen this at the time it's this it's this panting breathless moan sound that the mannequins all mm-hmm. make they don't talk really no. at all they move their eyes and that's really about it. And at this point, they're all sort of coming to life. So there are some writhing hands and things like mm. that. But it's this, their jaws are dropping and they're letting out these one syllable panting moans. I don't know how else to describe it's, How would you describe the sound? It.
0: It's almost like they are. If you were to ask someone to sing and to hold a breathy tone. It's, it kind of reminds me of that. It's very hushed operatic. It's bizarre. It seems almost like they're singing to me, but mm-hmm. but you're right. It's a moan, it's a it's a, a wail. It's it's something that d- it doesn't sound aggressive or frightening, but a sirens call almost, like, join us, be one of us, one of us. Because you hear that whisper while while you're watching the movie, they're like, you know. Like join us, join us, join us. They want you to become a mannequin like them. And then, when she finally delivers this killing blow to Slauson, the silence of that scene afterwards is fucking eerie.
1: Everything stops. Everything dies. Everything dies.
0: And then we're treated to the the "I spit on your grave" scene, but instead of a boat. It's, um, (laughs) she's driving in a car and, but don't worry, Lids, don't you fret. She's got all her pals with her.
1: Yeah. She's stuffed the car full of the mannequins of everyone, even Woody, which we didn't even really get into like that, how he's terrorized. Sawson has terrorized her with the mannequin of Woody. So she kind of knows what the, the, the Woody fate, that's no pun intended. If he's a wooden mannequin, I mean, whatever, (laughs) but she has like even the woody mannequin and the mannequins of all her dead friends and she's driving down the highway which i think that like i said it wouldn't be as maniacal if they didn't freeze frame it on the most maniacal look on her face (laughs) if they would have just let her drive on through the frame we might have had a little more like you know hope for her But no, I think she's lost her marbles.
0: It always makes me wonder, and I know we've talked about this with Open 24 Hours, and I think we've talked about this in some other horror films. Okay, so the film ends, and the person is wandering away from the haunted house or the whatever the fuck, and the credits roll, and I always stop to think, how is she going to explain this? How is she going to explain what happened that doesn't make her seem like she killed all of her friends like she just gets back into town city wherever the fuck she's from and she's just like and everyone's standing around the car just being like what the fuck is this I'm like yeah sorry they're all mannequins now I don't know what to tell you slam the trunk go into her fucking house and sleep for two days because she's been through so much but it's just like what do you tell the cops like yeah sorry this crazy old man that I murdered turned all my friends into mannequins like what do you say
1: No, no. The only answer is to burn the house down. Like that's what you should have done. No, don't take the mannequins and drive away with them. There's no hope for them. You can't. There's no demanification process. (laughs) You need to burn the whole house down. And you know, if you want to go to the loony bin after or something, sure. Or sleep for two days, which is highly recommended. But yeah, there's no way to explain your way out of that. No way at all. Unless he's being under investigation and you meet up with his cousin, the cop, who says, oh, yeah, we've had trouble with him before.
0: (laughs) His cousin, the cop. That's the worst part, though, is it's just like, ain't nothing, ain't nothing down that road, but an old tourist trap. Looks at the camera, winks. Credits.
1: I think that because it's 1979, the only thing keeping Charlie Band from turning her into a mannequin, too, at the very end scene and having just a whole carload of mannequins driving down the road was the fact that a mannequin can't actually drive a car.
0: Uh, they did that in, is it Puppet Master 2? The fucking chick turns into the doll, like the puppet, and, sh- and then she's like, yep, we're going to start killing people. It's never addressed again in the series, but... It's a very weird fucking ending to a movie. That's
1: why I'm surprised she's still a flesh and blood human. Yeah.
0: It's one of these days I'd love to sit down with Charles Band and just be like, when did you decide that people turning into dolls or dolls turning into people and puppets and little little critters, when did you decide that that was like, this is my cottage industry now. This is what I do. I don't make any (laughs) other kind of movie. I make this type of movie. Forever. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Probably because it's fun. That's what I'm guessing because it sure is how it looks fun. It
0: does look fun. And uh, just speaking of Puppet Master, NECA is releasing some fucking Puppet Master Ultimate figures that I'm very excited for because Blade and Torch come in a two pack. The only puppets that I would ever want. So I'm very excited.
1: That's perfect. They were thinking of you when they came up with that. I
0: know. The only thing is if they could get, if I could get a little jester, that would be great. But they decided not to, they're going with pinhead and uh, um, the drill, the drill guy in the other pack, but I'm happy with blade and torch. I'll get them.
1: Yeah. The the jester to me is 10 times more interesting than those other ones. So I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, I like the drill head guy. Sure. But I'd rather drill head and
0: jester. That would be very good. That would be very good. Um, I am very thrilled that you liked this movie. I wasn't sure. I thought it had things that were Lydia stuff in it. But like, you can never tell. You can never really tell.
1: And we have something coming soon enough that has some divisive opinion on it, too, as to whether people like it or not. The hills have eyes.
0: Is there, is there discourse in that in the opinions of that film?
1: Oh, definitely. A lot of people don't like the original Hills Have Eyes. I don't, I really enjoyed the remake, and a lot of people hated the remake, and I like it a lot better, actually.
0: I like the remake quite a bit. I, you know me, if the movie is the one that set the table, I usually go for that one. But I, I, I think it's undeniable that the Hills Have Eyes remake is one of the greatest remakes ever made.
1: i i would agree with that yeah i think that there was maybe a lot of discomfort uh not unlike other Wes craven movies there's a lot of discomfort with the ideas he's proposing and i think that that was feeding it and other people that just think it's not a good movie
0: interesting Well, we're definitely going to get that uh next week where we can discuss how, mm-hmm. you know, it's weird because I definitely would think that everyone would love The Hills Have Eyes because the dog lives and gets involved in the murder.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I've don't. i never heard people talk about the dog, but I'll have to do some research because it'll be fun rewatching this and these because I haven't watched The Hills Have Eyes, the original, since I was a
0: teenager. Ooh, that's going to be fun. Yep, yep, yep. Anyway, until next time, I'm Les Night,
1: And I'm Typical Lydia. And
0: you've been listening to Dead Air.